The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
is our firm foundation.
trust in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, burn through the fiercest drought and storm. Heights of love.
as as Don touched on a while ago, that was a good that was a good opening act about being a fair week. I, I like that. It is my favorite time of the year, the fair week. Uh, they mentioned the praise team on Wednesday night. I want to start out by saying, if you weren't able to go out and participate and listen and enjoy it, please do so next year, because as a the fair board is committed to this. We love it. We enjoy it. It's wonderful. And we want more of you to be a part of it every year. They did a wonderful job. And be sure and tell them that. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but one reason I like the fair so much, I, I love the livestock shows. I love the barbecue. But the best thing is looking across this crowd and seeing how many people I got to see there last week. I may not have got to speak to all of you, but it was a wonderful time. It's the, it's the social event of the year for this community. It brings the community together. You know, last year in the, the news, we heard stories about some violent encounters at other county fairs. We don't have that here. We haven't. Praise God for that. It's, it's a time of fun, fellowship, and camaraderie, right? <clears throat> I think back in, you know, Acts is the history of the church. It talks about how the church used to meet in each other's homes. They ate together. They fellowshiped with each other. Well, to me, that's what the fair is. We're all together. We enjoy each other. We support each other. When I got that phone call this morning about cash and cutter, there's no way to prepare for that. Both families were at the fair last night with us. It made me it made me think of some things. Second Thessalonians five seventeen. In ev- pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How in the world do we thank God for this? I don't know. But just as the fair is a time of support and camaraderie, there are some families that need that same support right now. That's what God put us on this earth for, was to help people, to comfort people, and to bring people to the Lord. This is our time. On a more personal note, uh, it also shook me up pretty bad. Because we don't know how much time we have. Those kids were 20, 21, 19, 19. And it made me think personally. You know, when Donna and I moved back to Portales, 
I was farming. And I was bound and determined I was going to be as good as there was. I was dedicated. I was motivated. And I messed up. Look at this time of year right now. Fix to start planting wheat. I was going to get it done. I was going to do it right. And I don't know how many volleyball games I missed. And I can't go back. I know that I was saying it's up to me to get it done. And I didn't give God any chance, any credit, because I had to do it. And my family suffered because of that. And I want to challenge everyone out here, don't make those same mistakes. Life is fast. We don't know when we can give someone a hug for the last time. We don't know when we'll get to watch that last volleyball game. Don't let your pride of thinking you have to do it yourself get in the way of what God really wants you to do. As we partake of this communion, remember, he gave it all. He put it in place for us to enjoy life, to live a life and live it abundantly, as he put it. We should be the happiest people on earth because of this, even in times of mourning, confusion, and sadness we still have our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you at this time, we, we thank you for the opportunity to worship and praise you. But Father, our hearts are heavy. We pray for the families of the, those kids that were killed. We, we ask for comfort. We ask for guidance. We ask for blessings of your peace. Father, we also ask that you touch our hearts. Help us to help others to realize how fleeting life is and how wonderful you have made it because of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Thank you for taking away our sins when we couldn't do it ourselves. Father, help us to be a support and a comfort to those who need us. Remind us to praise you and worship you every day. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. At a restaurant recently, I saw this phrase on the top of the menu, a la carte. Most of us know what it means. It's the stuff we want instead of the whole meal. We just want the things that we want. But I started looking up the phrase and where it came from. And it has a history, interesting history. A guy named August Escoffier was driven to be the best chef in all of France. He apprenticed under some great chefs. And in 1864, he became the head chef at Moulin Rouge. And when he did, he earned the nickname a king of chefs and chef of kings. Later on in 1899, the Carlton Hotel in Cannes opened and they hired him away and they wanted him to create the most amazing menu. 
And when he did, he created this word, a la carte, or this phrase. In French, it means off the card, meaning the menu was a card, and you could order what you wanted off the card, not just what was on here. It's come to prominence in America as a term. I really saw it in the cable TV and the streaming issues. Well, I, want, I only want the channels I want. I want to be able to buy the channels a la carte that I want. I want what I want for me. And it made me wonder, have we taken that approach with Christianity? Have we cherry-picked the parts of the Bible that I want for me, that back up my beliefs that make me feel good? The Pew Research Group is a nationwide, very highly respected uh, research organization, not a Christian organization, but they survey all kinds of people for all kinds of things. In 2020, they did a survey, and and 64% of Americans identified as Christian. They would check the box. If your belief system, 64% said Christian. By 2023, that had fallen to 51%. 13% in three years. In fact, they said they expect the group nuns, not N-U-N-S, the N-O-N-E-S, no, no religious affiliation whatsoever, to be the largest group by the year 2050. Now, the people of faith will look at that and say, well, that's the decline of American, American morality. People from academia will say, well, it's post-Christian, post-modern. And secular people will say it's long overdue. But it's interesting to me, the Bible gives us a laundry list of characteristics we're supposed to have. One of the best lists is in Galatians 5. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. We did it this summer in one of our camps. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, oh, that's how you pronounce that word. I don't care where you learn it. That's the way because that's how the song goes. And these are the characteristics we're supposed to. Would it, would it be fair? Would you agree that that should be the indicators of a Christian walk? Well, in this Pew Research Group, here's they, one of the questions they asked, what are words that would describe Christians? Here are the top five responses. Hypocritical, judgmental, insensitive, power-hungry, bigoted. What are we missing? Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, you know that the word Christian was used in uh, Acts chapter 11. It was first used at Antioch. Uh, That's where they first called people Christians. And some preachers have uh, defined that as little Christs. We're supposed to be little Christs. That's technically not what it translates as, but it's uh, an interesting phrase. And they were called Christians in Antioch, and the Romans picked up on this. And they used it as a term of a derogatory term. You Christians, you people that think you want to be like Christ. And some of the early believers said, well, yeah, they took it as a badge of honor and said, that's exactly what I want to be. I want to be a little Christ. And then C.S. Lewis comes along in the 1950s and writes Mere Christianity, and he expands that. And he says, we should be little Christ. We should be known for that and be seen for that. Why then is that not happening? 
All year long, we've been talking about being people of the word. If you're visiting with us uh, for the first time, that's been our theme all year. Everything has led to that. We're going to continue that discussion on through the fall. And I just want to remind us, we need consistent learning of God's word. We need to be in his word and we need to, as that video said, be doers of the word, not just hearers. But you might be sitting there saying, well, why is it so important? I get that the Bible is good. I get that it's God's word. Yeah, but why is it important that we be in it? I want you to join me in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14. If you're online on the radio, thanks for joining Central Christian Church. We appreciate you being here. We are a Bible believing and a Bible using church. If you have your Bible with you, open it to second Timothy three and verse 14. I'm going to read from the new living. Now, a lot of you are, when you see this, you immediately remember verse 16 and 17 from memory verses. The word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's great memory verse. It's powerful, but I want you to see it in context. Okay. I want you to see why the word of God is so important. Paul is trying to teach this young guy, Timothy, why the Bible is so important. Look in verse 16, or excuse me, 14. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. In 144 AD, a guy, a wealthy ship owner named Marcion of Sinope, which is from Turkey, uh, it's a city in Turkey, he liked Jesus. He had come to hear about Jesus, but he did not like the God of the Old Testament. He thought the God in the Old Testament was vengeful and hateful. And so he just, he disowned the Torah, the Old Testament and the prophets. And he came up with a new Bible. In fact, this is 140 AD. He came up with the first, it's called the Marcion Canon. It was the first Bible put together as a whole. Uh, It had 11 books and it was in two sections. One section was called the Evangelicon, which was a shortened version of the book of Luke. And the other section was 10 books put together by the Apostle Paul, and it was called Apostolicon, and it was 10 of Paul's letters. And he said, that's all you need. That's the whole Bible. That's all you need. Yet Paul himself comes along here in 2 Timothy and says, listen, you have got to remain. Look at verse 14. You've got to remain faithful to the things you've been taught. Why? Because you can trust the people that taught you. You can trust what was shown to you. Paul himself denies this Marcion canon. And I got to thinking about that. Look in that verse 14. He says, to be faithful, you've got to trust. It's got to begin with trust. I've got to trust the people that have taught me. I got to trust that the person that's dragging me onto that thing knows it took more than three bolts to put it together and 
that it's going to stay together. I got to trust that if you drag me on this ride, I'm not going to die, right? Trust, my faithful behavior will start with trust. And he goes on to say that those scriptures give you wisdom. The core of wisdom comes from knowing and speaking God's word. Now, you may be sitting there right right now going, okay, Don, you are not breaking any new ground. All right, nothing is fantastically new here. Yeah, I get it. But we need to be reminded. Okay, look closely in 14 and 15, and it tells us that scriptures give us wisdom. They help us to understand salvation. And that salvation comes from trusting Jesus. Now, if you're new here, you need to hear that. You need to hear that hope does not come from you being a member of the right church. Hope does not come from you doing enough good things because you want to get to heaven. No, hope comes from Jesus Christ and him alone. There you go. You're getting so much better at that. I'm so proud of you. Tom Banks, you'd be so happy right right there. Hope comes from his word. Now, again, you might be sitting there saying, Okay, this Don, this is not revelatory. You're not really breaking any new ground. We knew this. I'm not a big three-point sermon kind of a guy, but I listened to a lot of sermons, and I found one. A guy was talking about the decline of the American church, and he said it comes in three ways. The, the decline of the American church will start, it says, when the church becomes a restaurant. It becomes like a restaurant. When you go into the church, it's feed me. I want what you can do for me. And... And and that's kind of true. We have people that go church shopping. Now, if you're doing that, I'm not mad at you or anything like that. But frequently, the idea of church shopping is what's in this place for me. You get what I'm saying? I wonder if JFK would be booed off of stages today. He stood up and said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I wonder if the same principle, ask not what you can do for the church, but what, uh, what the church can do for you, but what you can do for the church family. And he said the first decline of the American church is when it becomes a restaurant. And then the next step after that is it becomes a theater. And then when you go to a theater, you want somebody to entertain me. And something that has happened in American churches, specifically in church planning, is an idea I call consumerism. We want it to be about what I want. And I don't like my grandparents church and I don't like my dad's mom's church. I want, I want church for me. So I'm going to go start my own church for my people that do like I do. You know what I'm saying? And I want you to, to entertain me. And he said, the third step right before the church falls apart is it goes from restaurant to theater to pharmacy. And when you go to a pharmacy, you want somebody to fix you. And some people come into church and they look at the church and they say, fix me. I I want a pill. I want a button. I want fix my marriage. Come on. It's all falling apart. Can you just fix me? Right. And I'm a guilty. I'm as guilty of this as anybody. We're a part of the ESPN highlights lifestyle, right? We want, we want the bullet points. Don't give me the whole thing. I just want, I want the, you know, quick, quick, fast. Give me what's it going to take to fix me. And I sat there and listened to this preacher talk about these three things. And I was like, man, that's pretty powerful. How do we fix that? And my thought is our greatest weapon against the falling apart of the church is being a people that stays in God's word. 
a be, be a people that studies God's word and knows God's word. But if you'll go with me to 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 16, and you'll listen to the purpose of the church. They will listen to the purpose of God's word from Paul. In the New Living Translation, it says this, that scripture is to teach us truth and make us realize what is wrong. Teach us truth, make us realize what is wrong. Many of you know that about six years ago, uh, my mother had very extensive back surgery. She's literally a walking miracle. They basically put a new spine in her, okay? But she was down in Dallas for 12 or 13 weeks in hospital and in rehab and hospital and rehab. And it was very true, big ordeal. It was a long, long ordeal. And I learned something while we were down there. Unbelievable care. They were the best of the best of the best, right? But the nurses in the hospital, and if you're nurses in here, I pray you hear this. The nurses in the hospital were just spectacular. They loved on her, and they wanted her pain to not be there. We will give you anything. We will make jello. We'll get you pills, whatever it is, to ease your pain. But then we put her in an ambulance, drive her three or four blocks down the street to a place called rehab. Rehab has an entirely different view of pain, all right? You see what I'm saying? They didn't want you to have it, but they didn't really care, all right? But it hurts. Don't care. Keep going. Because, again, nurses, doctors, you know that. The pain shows you there's something happening, right? It, It shows that it's important. The pain is teaching us what was wrong. Scripture should hurt us. It should step on our toes to show us so we hear what is wrong. And we saw this when Jesus was teaching. He, a guy we call the rich young ruler comes up. Hey, how do I get to heaven? Well, you follow the law. And he's like, I got that covered. I'm good. All right. What else do I got to do? And he turns around. And he says, sell all you have and give it to the poor. Now, we remember this story. But I think one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture is the line that happens right after that. He says, the man walked away sad. Because he had great wealth. Jesus told him what he needed. He didn't want to do it. You hear me? Scripture will tell us what we need. Sometimes we don't do it. Friends, you need to understand this church. We will not back down from talking about what God says. I don't ever want to be accused of that. And and if the Bible says it's a sin... God does not really care about my opinion. You hearing me? It's not built on my feelings. It's not built on what's culturally relevant. It's built on what God says. Now, what's funny to me, not ha-ha funny, but ironic funny to me is back to that Pew Research is how people view these Christians. These little Christs, they call them power-hungry and hypocritical and judgmental and insensitive and phony And yet, that's not really what we're about. And I don't want to be about that. But it comes across as a hater. We need to focus on what God doesn't like, what he detests, not what we detest. Uh, Go with me over to Proverbs. Most of you are going to recognize this passage immediately, but but write it down or go with me over to Proverbs chapter 6, and you're going to recognize this one really quickly. In Proverbs chapter 6, the writer says in verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates, no, seven things he detests. You recognize this? 
The seven things God hates. Okay, this is pretty, you know, basic church. Okay. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. Okay, those are the seven things that God hates. Friends, at the heart of Christianity is an ethic, is a belief system that is based on love. It's why the first followers of Jesus were called the way. It was a way of living that was based on love. It was based on forgiveness and accessibility. It was based on reconciliation, on charity, on giving and generosity, on peace and nonviolence. The ethic of that is what makes Christianity good. The ethic of our job is to love others, right? That's the core key issue here for us to be little Christ. But without it, Christians can quickly become rigid, intolerant, self-righteous, condemning, hate-filled, selfish, unjust, hypocritical, power-hungry, all of the things on that list. You hearing me? All of the things that are the image of Christians. In other words, this ethic, without this core of loving others, Christians can represent the worst humanity has to offer. And I don't want to be that. Let's go look at this list. Now, this is interesting. Now, I'm like many of you grew up with hearing this sermon about the seven thing God list or a series about that. And it was frequently involved pointing. You know what I mean? There was a lot of pointing in this sermon and it frequently was out there and out there and all of those people. And I've read it and read it and read it. I think the Proverbs writer is not pointing. I think he's handing you a mirror. He's asking you and asking me, do I see these characteristics in me? Not in them and not in they, but in us. The first one, he starts with haughty eyes, pride, selfishness. The next one is a lying tongue, exaggerations, gossip, lies. Lying is so important that out of a list of seven, it's twice. Do you get that? Is it's a lying tongue and then two lines below it, a false witness who pours out lies. God hates it twice as much. All right. The next thing says hands that hurt the innocent. And you would say, well, I've never done that. But do you realize when Jesus was here, he spent all a giant amount of his time looking for people that were marginalized. He wanted to find the, we, we talked about the paralytic the other day at the, at the pool, uh, pool of Bethesda. We talked about different ones all this summer where Jesus went and found the woman caught in adultery, the woman with the, he, he went to these marginalized people. Are we overlooking them? Are we looking at the broken people and saying, well, I just don't want to. If we're not, are we hurting by not helping? I'll tell you another one that came up on this heart that plots evil. And you immediately say, that's not me. But let me ask you a question. Do not raise your hand. Okay. I don't want it on video record. Any of us. Have you ever came up with a way to get even? That just went straight from preaching right to meddling, didn't it? 
I just went right in your back pocket there. Have we ever thought in our head how to get even with somebody? Man, I wish God had let me be the, you know, he's going he's gonna to settle it, but I wish I would be. We've all done that while we're driving and we're yelling at the steering wheel about that thing or that driver or that. We've all done this. Is that not the, the roots of a heart planting evil? And the very next one says, feet that race to wrong. Well, you're saying, well, I don't do that. Friends, your feet will go where your mind is aimed. And if our mind is aimed on revenge, if our mind is aimed on us getting even or us getting to the top, or like Wayne was sharing, I got to do it my way. I got to fix it and I'm going to miss. Our feet are going to go right there. And then that last one, so discord with brothers. Now, a lot of people say that's family, but I, I'm looking at that as church family. Griping, whining about church. Why do they do it that way? I don't like it that way. Why, you know, when we start doing that, we're tearing people apart. You know what's not on that list? Politics. What's not on that list? Bunch of hot button issues. Gender LGBTQ, uh, water issues. <laughs> Don't hit me, all right? Looking for who has, you know, weaponry on there. Uh, but we get it, right? It hurts. We're all hurting with this right now. We're all, and we, we're hearing stuff about masks and a, a new, you know, and, and so everybody's just, we're all bowing up, right? None of that was ever mentioned. Some of this comes from a couple of things. I'm getting close. Just hang tough with me. One was an article I read in the Huffington Post. I don't read Huffington Post. I was Googling, all right? But in 2019, there was this article, and I caught the, the title of it is what really was the title of this sermon because it was talking about a la carte Christians. And the article said, a la carte Christians choose which doctrines within the Bible that they want to follow, all the while ignoring passages they don't like, or worse, those that apply directly to them. Listen to this. When presented with a menu of biblical teachings, these a la carte Christians seem to say, I'll take the Ten Commandments, hold the adultery, the coveting, and the lying. Can I, keep, can I have that uh, side order of that uh, keep the Sabbath day holy because we got a game this weekend and I want to watch it? You, you see what I'm saying? What was interesting to me is, first of all, that this was in the Huffington Post. <laughs> if, if you follow any of that, that's not a super conservative Christian background, okay? Super liberal, right? And, and secondly, the person that wrote this, I went and looked at who wrote it and wrote the whole article. It was an interesting article. It was a leader in the LBGTQ movement. It was not bashing Christians. It was just asking, why do you pick and choose what you like and what you don't. Why don't you just do it all? I thought it was pretty powerful. And then the other book that I, I got recently is called The Way Back. Uh, the, the subtitle is How Christians Blew Our Credibility. It's by a guy named Jonathan Bach and the other writer, I can't remember his name, but they're both, they're not preachers, they're media people from Hollywood. They do productions and they do media promos for movies and different things. And they wrote this book a couple of years ago, How Christians Have Blown Their Credibility. And I got it for some of the series that we're doing. But he has an incredible paragraph in here that just, I mean, I was just blown away. Listen to this. Why did the early church succeed where we are failing? How did they transform the Western world in such a relatively short time? 
They did it because they did things that baffled the Romans. The early church didn't pick it, they didn't boycott, and they didn't gripe about what was going on in their culture. Parentheses for a second. This is my opinion. Do we understand that their culture was way worse than ours? They were under way more oppression than we are, okay? And yet they, they kept loving people. Go back to what he says here. They just did things that astonished the Romans. They took in their abandoned babies. They helped the sick and the wounded. They restored dignity to slaves. They were willing to die for what they believed. After a while, their actions so softened the hearts of the Romans that they wanted to know more about these Christians and who was this God they represented. Then this line right here, it's the bottom of this. Without confrontation, protest, or debate, love did its work. Love did its work. Friends, if we are to make a difference in Portalis, if we are to make a difference for the kingdom, we have got to take all of his word, every bit of it. We cannot pick and choose what we like. We've got to see the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. Hearing me? That the Old Testament and the New Testament tie very closely together. We need to be in the Old Testament. We cannot snack on God's word anymore, people. We have got to commit ourselves to regular study. There's a new ladies class that's starting in a couple of weeks, studying Jonah. Wednesdays in the Word will come back. Our spectrum group. There's a lot of different places for you to get connected, and we want you. We need you to dig in just to, by way of letting you know what's going to happen and why this is happening. Next week, we're going to start, for the next three months, there's going to be a series in September, a series in October, and a series in November. September is going to be called the Emmaus Code. And you remember in the story about Emmaus where they're walking on the road, and Jesus says he began with the prophets, and he started telling about himself. So we're going to look at how Jesus was a type and shadow in the Old Testament. We're going to see old shadows into the New Testament. So it's going to be a crossover study and that grace was there in the Old Testament. We're going to start that next week. Bring friends. Okay. Then the month after that, October is going to be in the New Testament. We're going to call it, we're going to talk about the way. That was what the church was originally called. And we're going to look at the first 10 or 11 chapters of the book of Acts. And I want to go to this. How did with no media, with no gas, with no internet, with no any way to spread the gospel. How did they spread the gospel and what can we do like that? You hear me? What can we do that will be like the way? And then in November, we're going to go back in the Old Testament in a series called Selective Hearing. We're going to look at First Samuel. First Samuel, and we're going to dig into um, Samuel and Eli and Saul, the beginnings of Saul, how we went from kings to priests. And I want us to be knowledgeable about the word as a whole, because we need to make the word a priority. How important is the word to you? Friends, the more we grow, not numbers, the more you and I spend time in the word, we are going to change those words that other people are using about Christians. Because I don't believe we're power hungry. I don't believe we're bigoted. I don't believe we're judgmental. I believe we're loving. But the more we love, the more people are going to see that. Do you realize Jesus never once asked us to be Christians? Never once. He didn't ask us to ask, our, ask him into our heart. He said, follow me. Will you follow me. Now there's a lot of people that like God that love Jesus and I'll sing about him and I'll clap and I'll adore him. 
But will you follow him? It's one of our favorite memories is this camp song. And it's not a song about what I'm, I'm going to do. It's what I am doing. I'm not going to be a hearer anymore. I am deciding to follow Jesus. I have decided that he is the way. He is the only way. We're going to have a couple of young people come forward and we're going to baptize them because he is the way and they believe that. Maybe some of you need that. Maybe some of you need to commit to decide to follow him. Whatever you don't do, don't leave this building. Don't leave this place picking and choosing what parts of God you like. Take them all and let's decide to follow him. Would you stand? Let's sing together. decided to follow Church, you can go ahead and have a seat. And I know some of you need to go because it's right up 12 o'clock time. But if you get kids in kids zone, you don't have to go there right here. Uh, You're just fine. Hang out with us for a few minutes. Uh, Aubrey, come on up here. Uh, uh, Robert, come on up here. And uh, I would like for you to stay here and be a part of this. And I want these two to come up here. Robert, come stand up here. And Aubrey, come stand up here. This is Robert. He's one of our teenagers. And this is Aubrey. It says Aubriella, but we call her Aubrey, right? Okay. And both of these families and both of these people, they got family here. And we're going to ask them a question. I don't want you to be up here to embarrass you, but I want you to see all these faces that are in your corner. Okay. They're not staring at you to make fun or anything like that. They are in your corner. And so I'm just going to ask you a simple question. And all you got to do is say yes, or I do, or something along that line. Do you believe, Aubrey, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he came to this world, that he lived a perfect life? He died on the cross and he rose again on the third day to give you hope and a home in heaven. If you believe that, will you say, I do? I do. All right. And scripture promises us that if we will confess him in front of friends, he will confess our name. When we get up to heaven, Jesus stands there and says, nope, this one's mine. So Robert, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he lived and died and rose again to give you life, give you hope, and your salvation is in him? Do you believe that? I do. All right. I'm going to pray over them. The praise team is going to lead us in a couple of songs while we're getting ready. So if you have to go, go. But if you can stick around, we want to celebrate with these two people. All right. Almighty God, we decide to walk with you. And so, Father, for Aubrey, for Robert, I am praying your power in their life. Don't take the problems away from them. Help them to hang on to you, to step with you, to lean on you, to, to lean into you. 
that they would abide in you. And Father, that we will be a church family that continues to raise up children and young adults and young families in the way of the Lord, that we will see you, we will see all of you, and that we will shine your light wherever we go. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.